great joys of following Jesus in my life um, has been watching the Lord bring people into my life that are further down the path than I am. One of the great joys of following Jesus has been watching the Lord bring people into my life that, that walk with Jesus more faithfully and intimately than I do. And the reason that it's so joyful is because the, what I've learned is that there, through other people, is that there's so much more of God to know and to experience. You know, when I see something in someone else, instead of believing that, that God is stingy or instead of believing that God withholds good things from us, that God only wants to give good things to some, I've discovered that part of what it means to grow up spiritually is just means having the awareness to recognize that, that maybe God is the one moving, that maybe God is bringing people into my life because he's wanting to show me that there's more on the table for me. There's more that is available to us. And maybe, just maybe, he wants us to have the humility to say, you know, I, I don't have what Caleb has, like, or I don't have what Trey has. Like, I don't, I don't have the faith that Mike has. Or I don't, I don't have the hope that On God has. Or I don't have the prayer life that, that Kevin has. And I don't have the, the joy that, that Ben has. But maybe, just maybe, God is bringing people into our lives to show us the things that we are deficient in so that you and I understand what's on the table for us. And if we'll have the humility just to come before the Lord and say, God, I don't have all that I want, but I know what's on the table. Would you give it to me? Because in this life, I want all that you have to give. And our God is not stingy. Our God does not withhold good things from those who ask. I don't understand it, but God enjoys being asked from his children. I don't have a full understanding of why, but I do know that when we start asking, it usually means that there is a hunger in us. That there is a willingness in us to take some ownership, to take some initiative, to reach out for, and to take hold of that which we really want in this life. Think about this with me for a minute. When we're given everything in life without ever exerting effort, it can be really nice, right? <laughs> you know, some mornings I get up and I'm an early morning riser and my kids are early risers too. And so, so often our mornings, Finley, Jones and Merritt, my two youngest though, Jones and Merritt will get up. And the thing that they love to do is to drink chocolate milk and to watch a cartoon before the day gets started. We're trying to keep the house quiet. And so, you know, they'll come and they'll sit on the chair and some days, because I'm just such a killer dad, I'll go to the fridge and I'll get them chocolate milk and give it to them without them even asking. <laughs> you know, so they're sitting there watching Mickey Mouse and they're drinking their chocolate milk. They feel like they're king and queen, right? Like I'm there to, to wait on them. And, and life is so good in that moment. And, and because God loves us, okay? Because our father loves us as his children, he gives us so much metaphorical chocolate milk. There are things that we have that we have done absolutely nothing to deserve. We've done nothing to earn it, but because God is just so incredibly good, he's given to them, he's given them to us out of the abundance of who he is, okay? But this thing happens as my kids grow up. They discover that there are some things that they don't yet have that they're not quite living into. And there are things that I can't just give to them that there are things in their heart that they're gonna have to be willing to, to ask. They're gonna have to, to want it. I can't make them want it. I can't force it on them. There are gonna be some things that they're gonna have to have a desire in their own hearts, a willingness to reach out for and to take ownership. And so I'll give you an example. This summer, I come into the summer and I have some, some desires for my kids. Not spiritual desires, but good desires. You know, like I, I want my oldest daughter, I want her to learn to ride her bike without training wheels, right? And, 
I want her to swim without floaties because I know that she can't be showing up to her 15-year-old friend's one day birthday party and still have floaties on, right? Like that's unacceptable. And, and so I, in, in her five-year-old mind, she doesn't think anything about her floaties. But I know in order to get where you need to be, you gotta, you gotta start like getting rid of those floaties. So I'd prompt her, hey, Finley, do you wanna swim without floaties? She's like, are you kidding me, dad? I'll drown. Do you hate me, dad? <laughs> Over the summer, I'm like, I understand that's a clear no, right? So <laughs> keep asking her, hey, do you want to swim without floaties? Not as aggressive of a no, but still a no. And, and this thing started to happen was as we'd be at the pool swimming and she'd have her, her floaties on and she'd ask me, hey, dad, can I swim without my floaties today? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and in my heart, I'm going, yes! Like, <laughs> unprompted. Now, so she'd do this all summer. We'd be swimming. She'd take her floaties off, and then she'd get scared. She'd put them back on, and she'd say, Dad, can I take them off again? And then this thing started happening over the summer where, where before we'd even leave our house, she'd say, hey, Dad, can we leave the floaties here? I want to swim today without them. And here's the reality. I, I can't make her swim. Like, me holding her up is not her swimming. <laughs> I couldn't do it for her. I can't want it for her, but I can show her what else there is for her on the table. And if she wants it, if she's willing to reach out and to grab it, if there's a desire in her heart, I'm going to be the first one to cheer her on and the first one to catch her when she falls, the first one to celebrate her. You know, as a church family here at Marathon, we've, we've been in this chapter of Isaiah chapter 55 for, for three weeks. This is our third week. And if you go back, we've just kind of been working our way through this. We're going to be specifically looking at the last two verses of this today. But, but if you were to go back and you were to start at the very beginning, it starts with this invitation. That the Lord is speaking through this man, Isaiah, and he just says, Isaiah, you need to let the people know all they have to do is to come to me. That you need to come to me understanding that, that you and I, Bailey and, and, and Carter, we, we bring nothing to the Lord. We bring nothing, we have nothing to offer God. But he says, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, come. And I love the, the, the invitation is extended to all. It's not just to those who grew up going to church. It's not just to those who, 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 who know some things about God. He says, the only qualifier is if you are hungry, if you're thirsty, if you've tried everything that this life has to offer except God and you found them to be lacking, if you're so unable to be satisfied by anything other than this world, the only qualifier is if you're thirsty, come to God. And as you and I come to God, this is where we all start. Like this is, this is how each of us start the spiritual journey, life with God. You, you discover the very beginning that God is not like us in the best of ways. Psalm chapter 103 says, God does not remember our sins. And so although we come to this relationship and we're so keenly aware of all of our places of brokenness and all of our sin, it says that we come into his presence and he forgives us. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. He's patient with us. And as we walk, as we live in this relationship with our holy God, what you discover is that he tells us, he commands us to let go of our sinful ways and thoughts. Which brings us to where we are today. He says, if you'll come to me, just as you are, not cleaned up, 
not fully satisfied, if you come to me fully uh, unapart, if, if, if your life is, is falling apart, if, if you're not where you want to be, if you'll just come to me, if you'll experience me for who I actually am, you'll be changed in my presence. And you'll start to let go of things in your life that keep you separated from me. And he says that the, the marker of your life, I love he says this in verse 12, will be peace and will be joy. I want to ask you this morning, is your life marked with joy and peace? I'm not talking about your circumstances. I'm not talking about are you happy right now? I'm going, is there a deep, just abiding, something that just lingers in your heart, peace and joy in the presence of God? Because he promises us that, that if, if we walk through this, if we come to this God, this will be the product. And if that is not the product of our life, it means that there is a barrier and it's not God's fault. If we're not experiencing peace and joy, it's not God's fault. And so often I've found that, that what God does is that he surfaces those things, those barriers that are keeping us from experiencing the fullness of who God is. I'm gonna give us this line, let us think about this for a minute. As we claim what God wants to give us, we are changed by God. As we claim the things that God wants to give us, we are changed by God. Are you marked with peace and joy? If you're not, let me ask you why. Have you come to the Lord, like really come to him? Have you given your life to him in baptism? Or are you one foot in and one foot out? Are you a convenient Christian? When it serves you, when it blesses you, is that when you follow Jesus? Is maybe the reason you're not experiencing peace and joy is because you haven't fully surrendered your life, your ways to King Jesus? Others of you, maybe the reason you're not experiencing this peace and joy that is abiding is because you're clinging to sinful ways. And don't hear me, all of us have sinful things. Like none of us come in this room and have it all figured out and are perfect. And so we're gonna continually, God is gonna confront us with things. But there are some of you right now and, and you know it's in the front of your mind. There are sinful ways that are keeping you from intimacy, that are keeping you from experiencing God as he desires. Some of you, have you, have you forsaken your sinful thoughts about who God is? Are you believing a lie about God? Are you, are you living with, with sinful thoughts in regards to who God is? And he says, if you will do this, listen to what he promises in verses 12 and 13. He says, you'll go out in joy. You'll be led forth in peace. I love this. He says, the mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of the briars will grow the myrtle. And so I, I was reading this this week and it's so rich and it's so beautiful, but you have to do some digging and you have to do some dot connecting. And so if you go back and you read Genesis chapter one and chapter two, before sin ever entered the world, it was God and it was man, it was woman. And there was friendship and there was love and there was trust. And the man and woman sinned. The serpent comes along and deceives them. And the man and woman, full knowledge of what they're doing, 
disobey. They did what they wanted instead of what God asked them to do. Does that sound familiar? And because of it, there was separation. Because of it, there was a change in relationship. Because of it, there was punishment because of their sin and their rebellion against the things that God had spoken. There was a curse. You can read about that in Genesis chapter three. And and part of that punishment, part of the consequence for, for going against holy and almighty God was this line in Genesis chapter three, verse 18. It says that the land will produce thorns. And my guess is that the majority of us you didn't grow up farmers. You didn't grow up in an agricultural background. So you just read over that and you're like, so what? It doesn't make a lot of sense to us. You see, but Adam and Eve were gardeners. And you get the sense that, man, they had it made in the Garden of Eden. You get the sense that God was taking care of the irrigation, right? It says that water was, was coming up from the earth. If you know anything about watering fruit and, and vegetables is that in, in order for things to grow, you gotta have sunlight and you gotta have water. It seems that God was taking care of the water. It seems that, that in the garden, it wasn't marked with, with strife and toil. It seems that, that managing the garden was, was easy and awesome. I don't know what that meant, but it wasn't marked with toil and heartache and suffering. And up until that point, gardening was enjoyable. (laughs) But after they sinned, something changed. That their life would be marked by struggle and pain. It meant every time that they planted a seed, it didn't mean that they would eat the fruit of its labor. It meant a lot of time that they would work, that they would struggle, that they would, that they would sweat, that they would put tons of time and energy into to making this plant grow and absolutely nothing would happen because thorns would overtake it. Their lives would be marked by struggle. And I want us to see the richness of what God is promising that God will do in Isaiah chapter 55, what he is showing us that he will do. He says, when people forsake their sinful ways and they really come to me, when they don't deceive themselves, they're not trying to to, to deceive the people around them, when when their hearts are given to almighty God, you forsake your sinful ways. When you begin to really walk in obedience with God, this is what he says. He says, the thorns are replaced with junipers and the briars are replaced with myrtles. And you go, what's a juniper? What's a myrtle? That's a great question. They're evergreen trees. And don't miss this, what he's showing us. The thorn. The thorn which which God gave in Genesis chapter three, which is symbolic of the curse, which is symbolic of the consequences, which is symbolic of the punishment of disobedience. What he's showing us in Isaiah chapter 55 is it has been lifted. And the flow of what God desired from the very beginning, which was unhindered friendship and partnership and love is fully restored. 
And you gotta understand this. It's not that God just changes his mind about sin. It's not that when you and I decide that we've, we've been walking with the world, we've been holding hands with the world and we're tired of it and, and we decide that we wanna walk with Jesus. It's not that God just says, okay, it's no big deal, all the things that you did, Dale. No, the things that you did, Dale, are a very big deal. And Mitch, the things that you did, it's a very big deal. And the things that I did, it's an unbelievably big deal because God is holy. And when we do things against God that are unholy, there is a disruption of the unity. Sin separates us from God. Sin leads to death. Right, you think about this. When, 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 you, when you gossip about one of your friends, when you sin about them, and they find out about it, are things just cool? No, there's friction there. There's tension there. When, 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 when we sin against God, it's not that God is just going, that's cool. I'm gracious, no big deal. No, he knows what our sin, our choice does to us. It separates us from God, it leads to death. And our God knows this. And listen to what he does when we are willing to come to him just as we are. He takes the punishment himself. Isaiah chapter 53, verse four, it says the punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. Wow. The punishment that brought us peace was laid on Jesus. Someone turn to Mark chapter 15, verse 17. Mark chapter 15, verse 17. The first one to get there, just stand up and read it as loud as you can, please. Mark 15, verse 17. Someone else, Mark 15, verse 17. What was it they put on his head? A thorn. Do you understand this? Do you see this? This is such a big deal. It was God's way of showing us that in Jesus, the consequence, the punishment of our sin has been dealt with. That what Christ has done for us is sufficient to restore to us back to the friendship and the love of God. Do you get that? You see, when we grasp this, when the gospel really grasps our hearts, the response of a heart, of a life that really grasps the gospel is a life that is marked with such peace and such joy because you realize that you did nothing to earn it, that God did all the work. You realize that, that your life, Jeremy, is such a testimony to what God has done. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how much you've striven to, to, to please him. It's about the grace of God. It says this will be for the Lord's renown, an everlasting sign. That our lives become this declaration of how great God is. And that as we claim what God wants to give us, we are changed by him. You know, some of you, the reason that your hearts aren't beating for Jesus because you've never let him take the punishment. 
You've never weighed your sin. You've never brought it into the light and realized how destructive it has been to God and to your own soul. And the reason that your heart isn't marked with peace and joy, the reason your heart isn't marked with love is because you've never let Christ put to death your sin and take it for you. And others of you, you come here and and the reason that that you're not experiencing peace and joy is because there's been a place where God has invited you to go more and you said, no more, God. I'm cool with you saving me. I'm I'm cool with you putting to death with with, with my sin, but, but I don't want anymore. And walking with God, this flow of unhindered relationship and love and ruling with God This is what he desires for us. You see, and I was just reminded this week that what you discover, life with God, is that life just isn't about you. It's not just about making sure you're okay with God. It's about making sure the people around you are good with God that our lives become this great declaration that God is great and if he could change a sinner like me, he could change a sinner like you. Our lives become this grand invitation to all those around us, those who don't know God, that you can experience him too. You were made to experience him too. Do you realize that Jesus left heaven and he came to us because he wanted us to know how great God really is? And we have this, this, this lesser than Christianity that we believe that, that man, we can follow Jesus and, and we don't have to be willing to go. That we believe that, that we can follow Jesus and it's not our responsibility to tell other people and to invite them to come to know him. I'm going, that is a bunch of crap. If Christ left everything to go after those who don't yet know him, who don't have knowledge of who he is. How can we pretend to be followers of Jesus if we're not doing the same thing? But you see, the fullness of the work of God in making us like Jesus begins to be accomplished. Not just when we're experiencing grace for ourselves, but when we want others around us to experience his grace. When we're willing to go, we're gonna do something a little bit different for the next few minutes. I wanna invite Nana Muir and Casey Grissom up front. And I could invite so many of you to come up front. Um, but, but these are two people that I know and that I've seen God doing this in them. And so I wanted to give them just a, a space to testify to the Lord's goodness. And to awaken our imagination, to, to awaken it, to, to lift us up. Come on up, you guys can come up. And, and, and to what it looks like for it to be, to be people who aren't just worried about ourselves, but who are willing to go. And so I want to invite Nana um, to share first. You know, um, I'll let her share a little bit about her, her life and what God is doing in her. But Nana is on staff with us here. She's one of the leaders here. And, and the question that I just kind of gave to them to be thinking about is, how are you trying to live out this going? And what does that look like in your life? 
Hey, y'all. Um, so anybody who knows me knows this, but if you don't, um, back in April, I bought a houseboat. Um, don't really know why I did, other than I just wanted a project to work on. I um, have been renovating it for the past few months, and I spent a lot of my time out at the lake on Percy Priest. And um, I didn't really have a vision for ministry for the houseboat. I just asked the Lord, like, okay, I'm just going to buy this and trust that you're going to give me some ministry opportunity. And um, what's been so cool is everybody always asks, you know, it's like, it's kind of different. Um, people are like, oh, like what, what's your favorite part about being on a houseboat? And by far, it is my neighbors, um, which is not what I was expecting. Um, so just a little glimpse into like what a boat dock looks like. I've got all um, different people that own houseboats and they come and stay on the weekends. And um, so I've gotten to know like all of my neighbors there um, and I'm by far the youngest person on the dock. Um, most of them are in their 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, and I'm like, Lord, why are you sending me as like, I, I really feel like he's sending me as a missionary to this boat dock. I'm like, God, I'm like a single girl in her mid-20s. Like, why am I ministering to people in their 50s and 60s and 70s? And he's like, well, like, maybe there's nobody else ministering to them. Maybe this is an overlooked um, people group. And what's been so awesome is I've just gotten to know my neighbors. Um, we spend a lot of time together on the weekends. We sit on each other's porches, and we get to just talk about our lives. And um, through that, I've gotten to share the gospel with many of my neighbors. It's just been so awesome. Um, we'll just sit, and a lot of times they ask me what I'm doing um, the next morning because we have breakfast together, and I tell them on Sundays I'm at church. And so from that, um, they've just started asking me questions about my faith and about Jesus and about um, what it looks like to be a Christian. And I've just gotten to share. And um, so one of my neighbors, uh, I've just been sharing the gospel with her, um, just encouraging her. Um, nobody on my dock is a believer. Um, and so she, uh, one day we were talking about like faith and prayer and the next morning she, she came over and talked to me for two hours. Um, she had had this huge fight with her husband. They're, they've been married for 25 years and he got mad and stormed out and she was really upset. And so she decided to pray for the first time. Um, and so she prayed to God and just asked him to comfort her. And, um, five minutes later, her husband called her and apologized, which she literally has never done, um, in their 25 years of marriage. And she came to me and she's like, I really think God's real and that I listened to my prayers. And so, um, she was telling me that her daughter has just started reading the Bible and she just doesn't know how to read the Bible. And so I got to download the app on her phone. And so she's been reading the Bible. We've been going through the book of John and she comes to my boat and we sit and, um, I get to just, she asked me questions about Jesus, and it's, it's so natural. Um, it's, it's not this forced thing, and through that, there have been a lot of different circumstances that God has just been pursuing this woman, and I've just gotten to sit there and testify to her, and what's been also super fun is that I've had some of you guys at Marathon um, come over, whether it's, um, you know, on God and Kaylin came over a few weeks ago, and they were like, hey, we just want to minister your neighbors with you, and so they, they sit down and um, just got to share their testimony about how um, they came to Jesus, and um, it was really cool, and then I had some, the Givens girls came over last night, and they just made some extra cookies, and I got to go sit on the boat with my neighbors, and um, we just ate cookies and talked and hung out, and um, it's just this amazing and humbling that God would, would use me. It was like the, the marina was no like way at all my plan for ministry. Um, wasn't where I thought I would be, um, but I remember I was kayaking a few weeks ago and um, kind of had like the whole marina in sight, and I just saw this rainbow go over it, and I just knew like 
that this is where like God was calling me to be in this season. And so it's been so encouraging um, to just learn and to pray and to, to be with my neighbors. And um, I've been so blessed by them in return. Um, so a few weeks ago, um, also another thing about Marina, they drink a lot. And so you just have to like get used to that. And so a lot of times <laughs> uh, it's, that's just part of the culture and just learning to be okay with um, just maybe like you just have to be okay with like their style of living and um so we're out of the boat and um one of my neighbors decides to like make a toast to me <laughs> which was kind of awkward but he's it's with like 10 of my neighbors and he's like I'd like to make a toast to Nana and I was like okay um he's like um we have all sensed a change since you've been on this boat dock and there's just this certain brightness that you bring to this boat um, to our space. And most of my neighbors have been there for literally 20 years on this dock. Um, and they're like, we just sense a change in like a brightness where you come. And that's not to say anything about me, but to say that like, when you go somewhere with the presence of Jesus and you like live out, um, your life, um, modeling as Jesus did, um, light comes forth. Like it's so natural that light begins to shine in those places. And so, um, I just wanted to give you guys, I wrote down a couple ideas for, um, just if you're thinking of ministering to your neighborhoods, which I hope you are, and if you're not, like, just begin praying about it. Here's some things that I've learned. Um, the first thing is that um, intentionality goes a long way. Um, so often it's just me, if I'm making cookies, to just make an extra batch um, and to go out and talk to them. Um, or, you know, just taking out a neighbor's trash or if like, say you're in your front yard and you're mowing your lawn and you see your neighbor needs help, just like go ahead and do it. Like that, that piece of intentionality though, by far, like if I could say anything about evangelism ministry and getting to know people is like, be intentional about it. Um, go out of your way to, to get to know them and, and to do something for them, not out of like this agenda, but just because you want to show them the love of Christ. So the first thing is, um, be intentional. Um, the second thing is to get out in your front yard. Um, what I love about the boat dock is that there's uh, chairs out in the front, and so everybody hangs out on their front porch. And if you think about the style of homes we have today, it's like everything's about the backyard, right? Like we have these big fenced-in backyards, and you like park your car in your garage, and you hang out in your backyard, and so you don't get to see your neighbors at all. Um, and so what I've learned is being out on your front porch is really important. So like go outside and just eat on your front porch or plant a garden in your front yard rather than your backyard and make like plant more so your neighbors can come and eat some of your stuff and um, go and hang out in the front, go on prayer walks in your neighborhood, be like a presence that they see. What I've learned is like if I'm outside that my neighbors tend to come outside because they want to meet you. They just, it's just awkward and it's hard to go knock on somebody's door. Um, and so just being a presence outside um, is really important. And so that's my second one. And then the third one um, is just prepare to be blessed in return. I think that's, that's been the hardest thing for me is I, I'm like, I'm going to be a blessing to my neighbors. And I wasn't ready for how much they were going to bless me. And so every week I come um, to the boat and there's literally like melons and cantaloupes and like ears of corn and all the stuff that one of my neighbors like goes to the produce market and like just leaves it on my on my boat to show me that he like appreciates me or a few weeks ago I had a problem in the boat and I couldn't figure it out and one of my neighbors I was gone that day but he has a has a key to get in like went in and fixed it like literally like all my neighbors spent the whole day fixing this problem in um my boat and I came back and it was fixed and um I think yeah that's been the biggest one of the biggest things is I was not 
expecting um, to be blessed in return, and it's really hard for me to receive. I'm like, no, I should be the one pouring into you and blessing you. But know that like it's because you're modeling that blessing for them that they want to bless you in return because they're trying to live out the very thing that you are. And like, so they're trying to minister, which is really cool. So yeah, if you have more questions about it or you, if you just want to help thinking of ideas to minister in your neighborhood, anything like that, um, come talk to me. I'll be back in the respond banner. But yeah, I'm really grateful for the ministry God's called me to at the boat. So if you would have asked me probably about four years ago, how are you living out um, uh, Christ's invitation? I would say it's not by going to other countries. Um, And that Nana's message would have resonated quite well with me. I was very comfortable um, even growing up in, in a church that put a lot of emphasis on missions with just being at home and living my life and being what I thought was a good example uh, just to the people uh, in my life. But just a little over uh, probably four years ago, God revealed to me that there was more that he had for me than that. And I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the invitation to go uh, global and how there are, are different sorts of challenges and uh, just some of the things that, that I've learned through that. Um, if you're kind of wondering what in the world I have on, this is a, uh, a traditional Ukrainian shirt that I picked up there this year. Um, I love the culture of Ukraine. I love the country. And about four years ago, God revealed to me that I also love the people there. And he invited me to go, and I couldn't, I didn't really have a choice but to say uh, yes. I didn't want to wind up in the belly of a fish, right? So, um, I, uh, sorry, I'm putting my thoughts together. Um, Basically, how do you live out, when when you're not someone that really goes on missions, or, or that is new to this or doesn't have a lot of experience in in doing international missions, how do you live out uh, uh, the invitation? And that was a struggle that I had when I first went, and I I still have, Um, because what we do when we go, me and my team, is that we basically put on a small vacation Bible school uh, for kids. And so we're we're teaching kids from six years old to 16 years old um, uh, what, what what good character traits and what a good example of life is centering around the Bible, of course. And I put so much emphasis on getting that right and just being good at that, that sometimes I kind of lose track of what it, it's really about. And this past year, I'll share with you that I kind of lost a lot of confidence really early on into my trip just because I suck at teaching. But um, <clears throat> it helps that we have a couple of teachers on our team and people that are very good at encouraging. Um, and that it's not about what words I say or, or what the lesson is or if the kids really feel it, but it is about living the example, living the example that Jesus showed us and that, uh, and that we're called to live. Nana's living that example at home, and I thought I was living that example at home, but I was called to live that example in... I guess what I feel like is my second home now in Ukraine. And that example 
is uh, to be a friend to the friendless, to see the unseen, to comfort those that need comforting, uh, and to love those that are unloved. The first year I went, I wasn't sure what God had for me, what, 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 the, uh, what was going to happen, basically. And so I opened myself to what he was calling me to do and just basically said, all right, I'm, I'm yours, do with me what you will, and we'll see what happens. And immediately, God showed me that he was all-powerful and he could take someone like me, who's not a good teacher, and who, you know, doesn't, doesn't really operate well outside of, of my little bubble. You asked what our boundaries are. My boundaries are control and order and stability. And when you're in a camp full of 350 kids and you're in a different country that you've never been to before and all of your food is potatoes, it's, <laughs> let's just say I was out of my comfort zone in a lot of ways and God worked through that and he gave me a, uh, an opportunity to uh, be an example of Christ to my little group of kids. And I say that because I couldn't have done that here with the pressure of, okay, I, I have to be a good Christian and I have to act like whatever. God was doing exactly what he needed to do, and I was available to do that. Um, but... Um, a lot of times it's not immediately evident what God's doing. The second year that I went, I came back and I just didn't know what had happened because we, we met with 300 kids, we handed out you know, Bibles to everybody, and I never really felt that there was a good connection between me and some of the kids, or uh, maybe I just wasn't able to process and, and kind of close out the year saying, yes, that was good and I, that's what happened, and now let's focus on next year. I just didn't get that feeling. And this past year, when I left camp, it was uh, kind of similar. I was like, yes, that felt good, but I don't know what was happening. It, it was a lot of uncertainty with the resolution, and I think we like seeing that. And being brought up in an evangelical church, kind of the cultural idea of missions is to go and convert people, and then you immediately see, yes, that's, you know, they're saved now, and that's why I'm doing this. Well, misconceptions, that I, that was a uh, something that I was brought up with, and I've come to realize that it's more about that. It's more about tallies and how many people you've brought to the Lord. Um, it's about knowing people and becoming intimate with, with those who you surround yourself with and those who God puts uh, around you. So, <clears throat> I have a story about two of our interpreters there. I've only been going for three years, but my, my entire team has been going 10 or 11 years. Um, and the very first year that they went, they went to a camp in eastern Ukraine, and there were these two counselors there, um, and they were boyfriend and girlfriend. His name is Sasha, and her name is Zhenya. And Sasha and Zhenya we're not sure about what these weirdo Americans are doing in their camp uh, teaching their kids. So they were curious, and they started asking questions. And after uh, some discussions with our team leaders, 
they decided they wanted to be a part of the team and interpret because they were they knew English, they were learning uh, more English. And over the years, the relationship between my team and Sasha and Jenya grew and grew and grew. And I met them uh, three years ago, and I've become good friends with them. And they grew up uh, Orthodox, as most people do in Ukraine. Um, and so there's, there's not a, a, a large emphasis on a relationship. It's all very traditional and uh, uh, things like that. But um, after 11 years, that's how long that some of our team members have had conversations and interactions with our interpreters. We see the kids in camp for two weeks, and then we may never see them again. And that's something that we have to reassure ourselves that we are only one uh, uh, interaction on their road. Um, you know, we, we only have two weeks to make an impression on the kids, but that's a lot of pressure. So we kind of just give that up to God and say he's going to do whatever he needs to do with those two weeks. With our interpreters, who mainly have been with us throughout the entire time, the entire 11 years of the team, it's different. Those are the intimate relationships that we have. And with Sasha and Jinya, I call them friends for life now. And I think they do the same thing with, uh, with, with us as their team. We're their second family, and they're our second family. And the fruit we may never see in terms of how we interact with kids. But as I was struggling to kind of figure out how did this year wrap up, we were sitting in the airport terminal. Uh, about to leave Ukraine. And our team leader walks up and he says, so I have to apologize for keeping this from you. But on the last day of camp, after all these conversations and all of these interactions that our team leaders and the rest of our team have had with Sasha and Zhenya, the team leaders, Sasha and Zhenya, snuck into the swimming pool at camp and they were both baptized into the kingdom. And that's when everyone lost it at the airport. So after 11 years of interaction, starting off with very skeptical people who are protective of their kids from what these Americans are coming in to do, to becoming friends, becoming family, and then finally truly becoming brothers and sisters with us in Christ, that is probably one of the best fruits that uh, well, that's the best fruit that can come of this, and it's slow, and it is uh, challenging, and it's hard to see every, every kind of uh, waypoint along the road, and sometimes we don't see the result, but um, we're very fortunate to have seen that result with them, and it's not the end, because that's the beginning of their journey. Uh, in, in a different way with the rest of us. So, um, again, it's all because we live the example of Jesus and that we all on our team um, uh, chose to, to follow his invitation to give up what we thought were uh, our barriers, but that God took those and turned them into strengths and uh, showed exactly what his, what his power is uh, and, and can do. So. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Casey. Um, let's give it up for Nana and Casey. Um.
You know, I, I wanted them to share that, not because so that you would think that they're so amazing, but for you to understand how just normal and simple it is and how that's the joy of the Christian life is that it's not just the elite that get to do it, it's each of us, like that God gives us the ability to, to go and to help all people come to know him. And, and I'm telling you, when, when you get to experience someone, like when you get to baptize someone that you've been walking with, when you get to see them step into this life, there's nothing like it in this world. And so I, I wanna, for us today, to feel empowered, for us to know, hey, as a people of God, we've been given everything that we need to take the gospel, to take Jesus wherever it is that we go. And so I wanna just encourage us. Here's what I'm gonna invite us to do. We're gonna do two quick things. We're gonna be done. And so the first thing, I wanna invite it to, to challenge us to do something. And so we've been doing this the past two weeks, and this is gonna be the last week that we do this. But I've encouraged every person in our church to take one day each week and to pray and to fast for, for our church family and for our city and for our country to, to pray that, that, that God will, will do something that he will stir our hearts, that he will stir our city's heart. And I'm just telling you, there's something about you being willing to pray and to fast, to give up something for, for the sake of the kingdom, that God just sees it. He just does. And, and if you choose to fast this week from food, you're probably gonna be angry. You're gonna be angry at me. I can take it. Like I get angry at myself. This past week, you know, that, that I understand that there, there's something about it. But God, it just starts in prayer. It just starts in prayer if you want your neighbors, if you want our church to be effective, if you want us to be the people of God, there's, it starts in prayer. And so I encourage you to pick one day this week and to pray and fast for, for us that God would make us into the type of people that go, that God would draw people to us that don't yet know him, that God would use us. Andrew wrote a prayer guide. It's gonna be on the blog. You can find that on our website. So the first thing I invite you to, 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 to pray and fast one day. The second thing I wanna invite you to do is we're gonna take communion. We do this every week. We take a piece of bread and drink a cup of juice to remember Jesus. And I wanna invite you just to, to, to get right with God in this time. If you come here and you go, I don't know the Lord, but he's calling to you, give your life to him. There'll be some men and women in the back. We'd love to talk to you. You can get baptized tonight and God will change the trajectory of your life. Others of you come here today and you're so distracted because of sin, because you've been holding on to some sinful ways and thoughts. Deal with those in communion. That's why he was crucified. Not so that we could have our lives perfect, but so we could bring those things into the light and start walking in holiness. And so find someone you feel safe and confess sin to. And I wanna invite you to, to during communion to just ask, God, where are you calling me to go? Who are you calling me to go to? Let's have eyes to see this week. I'll pray for us and we'll take communion. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your servant Jesus who did everything you asked him to do perfectly. Uh, I thank you for the ways that you're teaching us to live for you. And I pray, God, that you would resurrect us, those of us who are sleeping and bored in our faith and those who are, are needing to just have a breath of fresh air in our lungs to live for you. Would you meet us, God, for those who don't yet know you? God, would you breathe on them today? Would you give them a new heart? Would you help them to step fully into your kingdom? And we pray for those all around us, our coworkers and our families and our neighbors and our friends that don't yet know you. And God, would you give us such a just desire a joy that is just bubbling up inside of us that we can't help but share. And we need you, God. Give us courage. Give us faith. God, you tell us to ask and you'll give us what we need. And so we love you, God. We praise you for who you are and all you've done. In your name we pray, amen.